If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10, as we go through the book of Genesis, again, one of the great things about looking at the entirety of God's word, line upon line, precept upon precept, verse by verse, you're going to get the entire counsel of God's word, not just my favorite topics or some other thing. You're going to get really what God's word has to say about the things, this life that we live. And I think, again, in these days that we live in that are uh, trying, but friends, I don't believe they're trying as they're going to be in the days to come. This morning, Genesis chapter 10, we're in what's called the table of nations. Now, you say, well, what's that? How everybody got here and where everybody went. And so we're going to be looking at that. And so if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 10, before we read, let's pray out. Father, we just come to you now with your word, and we just ask you that you would cause these words to come alive, that they wouldn't be just ink on paper, but God, as your word says, they're alive and more powerful than any two-edged sword. So we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, remind us of your commitment to us, and God, as we read these words, Lord, may your Holy Spirit cause us to remember them in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we remember last week that Noah, after going through the flood, all the things that happened, died. He was, um, as the Bible tells us, all the days of Noah were 950 years. He probably had his house paid off in his car, which was a good thing. Um, But uh, 950 years old, one of the oldest people that lived on the earth. And so now we start in verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. Now, this is the genealogies of the sons of Noah... Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and the sons that were born to them after the flood. Now, again, uh, God said to them, as we studied last week, go uh, fill the earth. Same commandment, really, God gave Adam and Eve, but of course, man corrupted themselves. We're going to see that the flood hadn't been over that, that long, and man began to corrupt themselves again. What is wrong with people? Uh, you know, you ever, you ever wonder that? I know all of you have asked, what's wrong with the guy, the way he's driving in front of me? Because we always wonder about that. They signal left, turn right. You know, they don't know where they're going. Uh, They drive by impulse. Hey, I want to go over there. You know, and so, you know, they do that. But the thing is, we wonder what's wrong with people. The Bible says that the spirit inside man died in the garden. And that's what's wrong with people. Uh, That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, you must be born again. It's not an option. You must. You must ask God to born his spirit back into you because that spirit that was in us in the garden died when Adam and Eve ate of the tree. And it's been dead until we ask God to born us anew by his spirit. And that's one of the great things that God does. It isn't how much money you can give God for it. It ain't how many good works you can do. It's simply by asking, by faith, we receive. And that's one of the great things about God. I never have to earn it when it comes to God. People have asked me a little bit about Ash Wednesday and what you're giving up for for God 40 days before Easter and and, uh, prepares you for Passover. You know what really prepares us for Passover? Jesus. I didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to do anything. All we have to do is receive what God does for us. It isn't a works trip, friends. It's simply living by faith as a child would in their relationship to their father or their mother. See, this is one of the great things. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our father. 
See, God wants that relationship. I can't stress it enough because every day bombarding us continually is this idea of religion that says, you got to do something to be something. God says, in me, you already are. I like that. You see, I didn't have to perform. I didn't have to put icing on the cake. I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do is just receive what God had for me. Well, when we look here at the table of nations, we're going to see, first of all, that God cared very much about people. He always has. That's what it was all about. And so as we look at this, we look at the genealogies of of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, golly, Sergeant. No, not that Gomer. Okay, sorry about that. I I just had to do that. Okay. Um, Gomer, who's Gomer? Uh... Father, basically, of the German race, if you will, mentioned here. Uh, We find uh, Magog. Now, again, uh, Magog's an interesting place because it is um, the area around the the Black Sea, if you you can go in your mind to a a map of of Europe and and, uh, the Middle East. It's the area around... Uh, the the Black Sea. Then it says we have um, Medai, which is really the Medes, and later on they be the Medes and the Persians and all, you know. Then we have Javan, and Javan um, was the father of the Greeks. So you start getting an idea here how all these different uh, groups were formed and things. Tubal, Meshach, <coughs> Uh, now, Tubal is the ancient name for Tablonks, which is in Russia. So these are actually descendants of pretty much those that went north, settled Europe and that area up there, uh, the sons of Japheth, who they were. Meshach, the ancient name for, for uh, Moscow. And so we find now in verse 3, the sons of Gomer were Askelez, uh these names are hard too. Ritha and Tugmara. And uh, Tugmara, I'm not going to go into detail on all these, but um, Tugmara was actually the Armenians. So we find now moving a little bit farther south, getting closer like Turkey and over that way. The sons of Javan um, were uh, Eshkeloth, uh, Tarshish, Kittim and Dotham. Now, Tarshish, many people believe, was either England or, or Spain. It was kind of a farthest most place. We remember Jonah got a, on a boat headed for Tarshish. Now, some people believe that it was either uh, Spain or probably England is where he was headed. Um, Kittim, that we find here also in verse 4, uh, Macedonia, Cyprus, that area is where they were. And from these coastland peoples, the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his own language, according to their families, into their nations. Now, literally, this is after the rest of chapter 11. Remember, when the Bible was written, it didn't have verses and chapters. It was all one reading in the Torah. Okay, so it all just read together. 
And so you'll find kind of a mix here of early part of chapter 11 and 10 together because chapter 11 deals with the Tower of Babel. Now you've heard about that. And, uh, and this is where the nations were separated uh, because of language. But there's a lot more going on than just building a tower into the heavens. We're going to talk about that here in just a few seconds. It says, the sons of Ham were Cush, which is Ethiopia, Merizim, which is Egypt, Put, which is Libya, and Canaan, which of course is right around the, the area there where uh, Israel is today. The sons of Cush were Sheba, Havaba, Sebatha. I don't know how to say these words. I've worked on them. I still can't do it. Rama, Sabathahath, the sons of Rama and Sheba and Dedan. Now, Sheba and Dedan are what is present day known as uh, in the area over by, um, um, that would be the east, towards the east of Israel. Um, uh, and so um, Libya and, and uh, these areas, that, that direction. Uh, we also find here, it says, Cush begot Nimrod. And he began to be a mighty one on the earth. Now, not in a good way. His name means, let us rebel. That's his name. I don't know why any parent would look at their kids and say, hey, let's name our kid, let us rebel. You're always just asking for it when you do that, okay? And you know, names have a lot to do with, you know, sometimes you look at people and, and their, their, their names. But you know, a lot of people... In those days, name their children after events because time wasn't the way it is now where we have our, you know, our uh, phones with the date and the time and our calendars and everybody's got one. They name their children oftentimes after events. And when I was in Tonga many years ago, I met a, I met a, a girl named Telephone. And, and I could tell she was about 30 years old at the time. And I figured this is probably about when telephones came to the island there. I remember this couple came by the radio station that I built when I was over there. And, and um, it was a little baby. And I said, oh, isn't that cute? And she goes, yes, her name is Radio Atomoto, Voice of the Islands. She named, they named their kid when the radio station went on the air for the gospel. And I thought, that's interesting how people would name their children after events. Well, that's really a lot of times what would happen. This is how we remember Esau and Jacob uh, and, and those two uh, twins that were born. And the name Jacob meant heel catcher because he came out of his mother's womb holding on to his brother's heel. And so this is why and how they would name people in those days. But what's interesting here about Nimrod, is he be, became a mighty one on the earth. And literally, he became a great hunter. Not necessarily for animals, but for people. And he was a person that was really instrumental in the rebellion and building Babel. Now, the reason why this is important is because he is really the, the descendant of the Babylonians. And he's the one that instituted uh, a religion other than worshiping God. Nimrod is the one who was instrumental in collecting people 
hunter of people, building a religious system, the Tower of Babel, and he's the one that instituted a lot of the problems that we find that have trickled down through the history of ages. See, this is one of the problems. A lot of people say, well, we don't study out of the Old Testament. We're a New Testament church. Well, what a ripoff for all of you to not know the Old Testament, to know how we all got here today. See, what's really funny is if you go to Revelation chapter 17, we just finished that book before we started Genesis. Revelation chapter 17 talks about Babylon, the mother of harlots. Have you heard that that phraseology before? Mother of harlots. Why is that? Because false religion had a beginning. Mother of harlots. There's a lot of harlots. There's a lot of harlotry that's gone on in the religious world, taking people away from the truth of God's simple love for them and instituting a religious system of gobbledygook and all that other stuff where you have to get in a certain way to approach God. Now, here's the problem with this when we look at this. Nimrod was the one that instituted this. And he commanded everyone in his kingdom, if you will. And we're going to read on a little bit more about this. But to give you the background for it, he, he commanded everyone to, re, to worship his mother, Saramis. And Saramis was the queen of heaven. And understanding that, that the story was that Uh, Nimrod was born without a father. Now, it's interesting here, we find the genealogy of Nimrod, so we know that he did have a father, but the story was, they changed it, that he was born of a virgin birth. Sound familiar? Always remember, false religion will always attach itself in some way to the real to make it believable. This is one of the reasons why almost every cult on earth in some way will have some claim to the Bible. Even though they don't accept the entirety of God's word, or they'll go out and change God's word to suit their own belief, the thing is they will always lay hold in some way. Why? Because if you're going to sell people poison jelly beans, you better have some real ones in there too. And that's exactly what they do. They'll sell you a thousand truths to slip you the one lie that's going to kill you. And this is one of the great problems, Babylon, the mother of harlots. So if we go back to Babylon, and I don't mean Nebuchadnezzar, but if you go back to the original Babylon, Babel and Babylon, you begin to find out that Nimrod was the spearhead of false religion. Now, do you think false religion is real today? Oh, friends, take a look around. They all got you out trying to earn what God has already given you. Well, you know, you know, go sell flowers in airports. Go out, do this and go do that. They got their big long list of things. I go over it almost every Sunday. Why is that? Because the cult won't stop and we won't stop. Why is that? Because they're being misled all the time. Do you think during the tribulation period, when the Antichrist, the the church is gone, do you think the, the, the world is going to go without any kind of faith-driven something? No. No, the Bible tells us the Antichrist institutes a world religion. He homogenizes all the religions of the world into one believable religion. And the world, as John Lennon said, will be as one. Okay? So understanding that the religious part 
of an individual or a nation is the key. Remember this. When Jesus came in on Palm Sunday, we're not too far from Palm Sunday, but when he came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, the first place he went was to the temple. Now, the Bible says he came in lowly riding on a donkey. Now, when we read about him coming back to Jerusalem in Revelation, in the last couple of chapters, he comes back on a white horse. But he came in lowly riding on a donkey. Why? Because he wasn't there to abolish the Roman Empire. He was there to straighten out Israel's spiritual problem. That's why the very first place that he went, he went into the temple. The Bible says he turned over the tables, the money changers and all those things, chased them all out. And then the Bible tells us in the Gospels, he began to teach the people. He realized that Israel's problem was not the Roman government. It was their spiritual bankruptcy. And that's why Jesus went there first. It was their day. It was their day of receiving their king. But he realized that unless you fix the spiritual part of a person, it doesn't matter what government you're going to have. Case in point. During the millennial reign of Christ, people will live on this earth in a perfect world. A perfect world. Perfect environment. Perfect food. The curse is gone. No more thorns. The weather's going to be great. The ecosystem of the planet will be restored. And the Bible says for almost a thousand years, people will live on this earth like that. Yay! Well, what's wrong with that? The Bible says Satan is loose at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. And Satan goes out deceiving the nations because God gives them a choice. Did you live in this environment for the last thousand years because you wanted to or because you had to? And a strange thing the Bible says, they rally against Jesus there in Jerusalem as sand is on the seashore. That's how bad it is. In other words, the darkness of men's heart, unless a man is born again, he'll not see the kingdom of God. Well, this is what the problem was. They would rebel against Jesus after having lived in a perfect world. They still complain. Wow. Well, this is one of the great problems that we have. So the Antichrist, before all this happens, homogenizes the faith of the world, a chrislam, if you will, or a coexist. And you've probably seen the bumper stickers where they use all the symbols of all the religions of the world, the Jewish star and the crescent moon and all these different things, to a, a chrislam kind of thing where the world will worship together as one. See, this is one of the things the Antichrist knows that he needs is to unite people in faith. This is what he's going to do. Now, this is why I believe, number one, There are martyrs during the tribulation period because you cannot mix true Christianity with the religions of the world. Because the religions of the world basically say, and this is what the Antichrist is going to be saying, there is a lot of ways to God. God is how you define him. There's a lot of roads. We'll all groove together, cuckoo, cachoo, and we'll just be there. What's wrong with that? Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Why is that important? Because we can't accept a Chrislam faith. 
Number two, I believe this is why the church is taken out of the world primarily before the Antichrist comes to power is there's enough of you and me and Christians in the world today that if a man received a wound in his right eye, his hand withers, he is as dead, and then he comes back to life, the whole world is going to say, this is the Christ. Well, there's enough of you guys out there that are going to say, nah, he's a phony. He's the Antichrist. But with the church gone, there's nothing that's going to biblically identify him for what he is. And so I believe this is why the church is not here when the Antichrist comes to power, because we would identify him and there would be enough of a ruckus he would not be able to smoothly transcend in. So (coughs) understanding that, The Antichrist is going to look for a global religion. Of course, we've talked about this before. Three and a half years into his reign, he declares to the world that, scrap those religions, I'm God, worship me. And of course, that's the abomination which makes desolate. But it all goes back to a place where religion, this deviant religions, came from. This is the mystery Babylon Revelation 17 speaks of. There's an interesting book that was written about the mid-1800s called uh, The Two Babylons. You might want to check it out sometime. But it compares a lot of the things and the ritualistic, the ritualism that has crept into the church is really from the, these old Babylonian systems that have, been, that have been around for a long time. So Nimrod, don't be a Nimrod head began to be a mighty one on the earth. And it was really literally um, a, a mighty tyrant in rebellion to God is who he was. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. He was a mighty hunter for people. Some people believe actually there was a, a book that was written about this and that he was out hunting. A boar turned on him gored him. He died. Three days later, he came back to life. Sound familiar? He was a mighty hunter. Some people believe that one of the reasons maybe he was able to come to power is because he protected people from the wild animals. And so they began to put more and more of their faith and trust in him, and then he began to hunt them. At the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now, again, this was his kingdom, and we're going to read more about Babel when we get into chapter 11. Eric, Akkad, Kalnith in the land of Shinar. Uh, this is up in the area of um, present-day uh, Iraq, and so this is where these people went. And from that, he went to Assyria, built Nineveh, Rehob, uh, Ur, and Kalath. Razrezin between Nineveh and Kalath, that's the principal city. Um, Mirzim begot, and Mirzim, by the way, is where we get uh, the land of Egypt, begot Lidim, these names are hard, Anahim, Lebethim, you guys can say it, I'm. I'll let you do that. Perizim, Kalaam. You know, we don't even, you know, and by the way, I've had people 
do this. I, I have been around people, uh, especially Hebrews. And as it's what's kind of funny is, is, you know, sometimes I see people, well, no, this is the way you say it. No, you get around somebody that's really Hebrew that knows how to talk out of the back of their throat. <laughs> they, they, we butcher it. It's like, you know, and I'm going, can't do that. Don't know that. In fact, it's weird. This is a dirt road, Mike's Money Trail. <clears throat> In the Bible, there was a bunch of people fleeing. And as they were coming over the wall, they didn't know if these guys were really part of the enemy or they were really locals that were trying to escape from the war. And so they would tell them to say a word, and if they said the word wrong, they'd kill them. Why? Because your accent gives you away. And this is one of the amazing things that, uh, so if you can't pronounce all these, I understand, don't feel bad. Verse 15, Canaan, I can say that one. Sidon, I can say that. His firstborn, Heth, which became the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Akrites. How am I doing? We find all these that are listed. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. And the border of the Canaanites were from Sidon, as you go towards the Gears, as far as Gaza. And you go towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of these names you recognize because of their, of their, um, and actually they didn't start in a in a in a sideways way. Uh, it's just interesting that um, communities take on certain things. What their forefathers allowed to go on in a community versus dealing with the, in its infancy like Sodom and Gomorrah, but you'll even find that today. There'll be towns that have weird things about them. And I don't know if you recognize this. Some of you may, you, some Southern Idaho here, there's communities you go, well, that's kind of a weird town, you know, or whatever. Well, that, that's not too far out of, out, of the, out of line because we remember Jesus said, when you go into a town, they don't receive your message, shake the dust off your feet and keep walking. Why? Because where this town may reject what you have to say about the gospel, the next one will accept what you have to say. So you can't let their negativity stop you from being about your father's business. So these were the sons according to him, verse 29, uh, verse 20, uh, according to their families, according to their languages, uh, in their lands, as in, in their nations. The children were born to Shem, father of the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. And the son of Shem were Elam, Asher, Aphed, Lud, and uh, Aram. Now, Aram was the uh, Syrians. Uh, the Syrians. Uh, we see some of the other ones here, the Lydians and some of these others. They were right around in the Middle East area where Israel is at today. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash, uh, Apax got uh, Salad, and Salad begot Eber. To Eber were born sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. Whoa, stop right here. Here's one. Now, a lot of these names don't maybe catch us, but there's a lot of discussion on this guy. 
Now notice it says, to Eber were born two sons. One was Peleg, for in his day the earth was divided. What in the world is that? Some people believe this is where the continental drift began. And I suppose if there was an earthquake big enough to crack the, the one landmass into many pieces as they all began to float off, you have North America and South America, people say, you know, doesn't it, weird? Doesn't it look like they just kind of fit right together there, you know? Well, evidently, maybe they did at one time. And this is where the continental drift, many people believe this would have happened with it was this name. And I think his name is interesting, and I won't go into it, but you could look at that and think, if you were scared to death, what would happen to you? Uh, for in his days, the earth was divided. His brother's name was Jotham. Now, here's the point. Some people also believe this might have been during the time of Babel when the peoples of the earth were divided up as well. So there's two possibilities on his name where the continental drift began and or where the people, all of one language, building the Tower of Babel were all gathered together in this one place. And of course, we have Nimrod reigning over them. God breaks it up, splits them up, and they all go off based upon their languages, as we read earlier, if you go back to verse 5. So Dothan <coughs> became Ebelad, uh, Sepheth, Heber and Jerheth, Hadadim, Uzal, Dekal. Uh, oh, I, you guys, I'm going to let you work with this. Verse 30. And their dwelling place was from Mesha as you go towards Sephar, the mountains to the east. And these were the sons of Shem, according to their family, according to their languages, according to the lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these nations, where they were divided after the flood. Now the whole earth was one language, one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, where they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. Couple of major things here. One, they weren't just making mud huts. They were actually building kilns, firing bricks. They knew how to do that. Number two, it said they had asphalt for mortar, which shows that there was oil there and uh uh, again, this is where these great oil uh, deposits have been found still to this day uh, in that area. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top of it will reach into the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, again, operating in fear never does anything for you. And by the way, if you ever try to make a decision out of fear, it's probably the wrong one. I can attribute the decisions in my life that were wrong to fear. Whether it's the car salesman saying, you better buy this one. There's never going to be another one like it. Nah, they make new ones every day. Don't buy that. Well, I better marry Billy Bob because there'll never be another Billy Bob. Yeah, there'll be another Billy Bob. 
Don't allow yourself to get ripped off saying, well, this person's not really what I really wanted, but that's okay. They're close enough, and I'm afraid I won't find anybody else. If you're making that kind of a decision, run. You're not, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And if we're making decisions based in fear, friends, then we're not really trusting God. And so not to allow yourself to be moved by these kinds of things. Notice it says, we'll make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have one language. And this is what they begin to do. So now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. By the way, that's weird. The Bible says whatever they imagined they could do. But that doesn't mean we're in God's will. I, I, I feel bad for different faiths in religions that say, well, whatever it is you want, you just visualize it, you just blab it and grab it, you just keep speaking it into existence. Friends, that doesn't necessarily mean you're in the will of God. Because right here it says that God came and he looked and he said, these people have determined that whatever they want to do, they can do. That's what it says. In fact, if you go to the old King James, that's where it really lays it out. Whatever they imagined they could do. That doesn't mean it's of God. Remember, you're a powerful being. You were created in the image of God. But because of that, we need to be careful. That's why we need to surrender our will to God because even though we can make things happen, it may not be the best for you in life. See, this is where we say, okay, God, I ask you to open the doors and close the doors according to your will for my life because I can make this happen. Listen, your, your plastic credit card can make a lot of things happen. You just go into debt, and here's my card, and I got whatever I want. That doesn't mean necessarily that's the best for you. Well, the same thing it is for anything else. So we want to be careful when we make decisions first. Am I making this decision out of fear? If you're making a decision out of fear, stop. Wait till you get the green light from God. Perfect love, cast out all fear, the fear is gone. Number two, is God making this happen in my life or am I making this happen in my life? Because if it's you making it happen in your life, just as we're reading about here, there's nothing that they imagine they could not do. That doesn't mean it's in God's will. Well, you know, I, I can make it happen. Well, I don't want to make it happen. I, I want God to do it. Because if God does it, I know he did it. Now, here's something else. If you strive to have something you're going to strive to maintain it. But what God gives you is yours. See, God gives that to you. It's a gift. And this is the great problem. Because again, today with resources and credit and all these different things, well, sometimes it's just best to say, Lord, I don't know if you want me to have this or not, so I'm just going to pray and I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what you want to do in my life. Man, I'll tell you, friends, that's going to be a lot better than taking matters into your own hands and saying, I can make it happen. You can do it. This is one of the great problems with a lot of what we hear in church today. Not this one, thank God, but others that say, you know, it's motivational speaking. You can do it. I got that shovel over my shoulder and my bucket of water. and I'm going to make it happen. Be careful. 
Because God may not want, well, I'm claiming my Americanus Maximus. Yes, bright red, tinted glass, airco, it's mine. I took and cut a picture of it out, stuck it on my refrigerator. Every time I walk by, I look at that picture and say, that's mine. Sounds good, except one problem. Maybe God's calling you to go over to Hawaii. Or maybe God's calling you to go over to Tonga or some other place. What good is an Americanus Maximus going to be in a place like that? So this is why going back and saying, okay, not my will, thy will be done. God's got a better plan because God's will satisfies. And so it says there was nothing that they imagined literally proposed to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, the very thing that they were trying to do to keep from happening. Uh, And they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of of the earth. We're just going to stop there today. People say, well, what language was everybody speaking before this happened? Probably from what we gather, Hebrew, believe it or not. Because the names, whether we go back to Noah or the other names, are all basically Hebrew names that meant something. I don't know. I've often wondered that in heaven. When we get to heaven, what language are we going to speak? Well, everybody knows we're going to speak English. I don't know that. But I know whatever it is, God's going to teach us. You know, it's interesting. God confused the languages of the world and divided people. Isn't it interesting in Acts chapter 2 where God gives the gift of the Holy Spirit and the initial gift, now I believe there's other gifts. I don't believe everybody speaks in tongues. But in Acts chapter 2, they all spoke with tongues, and people from all over the world that were there during that time of Pentecost, when they heard, we remember that Jesus um, uh, Jesus brought people back together with language, where here they were divided because of language. This morning, think about it for a minute. Who's in control? Is it God or is it you? Again, are you the one wheeling and dealing and making the deals, or is it saying God? I surrender that to you. You see, when you give it to God, God's got the best for you. That's what you want. You want God's will. Gosh, you don't want to make a mistake. I've shared this story so many times about two girls down in front of the church one time, both crying. One because she married Billy Bob, the other one because she didn't. That's the problem. A lot of times we take matters into our own hands and we create a lot of the difficulties that God doesn't want us to have. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you don't have anyone to turn to. You're making all the mistakes on your own. You have no one to help you say, no, 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 don't go down that road. That one's not a good one. That's what God will do. Not only does he save us from our sins, past, present, future, but he also guides our life. Friends, that's what you need. That's why Jesus said you must be born again because you need that in, in, interior, that, uh, that built-in guidance system that comes only from God. This morning, if you've never prayed, we're going to pray. You can pray and ask the Lord into your life and let God do what he wants to do. So if you've never prayed, maybe you're distant from God. Somebody drug you in here and there's little heel marks all the way to your chair because they drug you backwards. And you're saying, boy, God, I, 
I don't want to live the way I'm living anymore. I'm not happy. See, that's, that's when it's time to come to Christ. Let him rebuild you. Let him restore you in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I thank you for loving me. And I didn't deserve your love. From this day forward, I turn my life over to you. And I ask you to make me the best I can be. I want you to adopt me. So I can crawl up on your lap and say, Daddy. And that I can be about doing what you want me to do every day instead of what I used to do. And so I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and his blood covered my sins. And so forgive me of everything wrong I've ever done. Now let me live in your love and in your light. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you for everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen.